This is Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda. Well, you're listening to the Market Insights Market Pulse podcast. I'm Johnny Hart. Let's join Oanda Senior Market Analyst in Singapore, Kelvin Wong. Good morning from London and good afternoon to you. Good morning to you, Johnny. Good to see you again. Let's start with the latest where you are from the Asian stock market, which is shortly to close. And it's been a week opening day of the week, apparently mainly because of worries over China's uh, property issues, particularly as regards to Evergrande. Uh, yes, yes. So what we could see that if you recall, China Evergrande is actually one of the catalysts that kickstart this um, credit crunch in the all-important China property developer uh, sector. So what we could see over the weekend, uh, late Friday, China Evergrande Group uh, in fact, right now, uh, they're actually in the midst of uh, corporate restructuring. That means, i.e., to actually uh, swap their current uh, outstanding debt, be it onshore and offshore, into uh, longer-term maturity and even uh, equity-linked notes. So on the latest, uh, we call it Foral right now over here, is uh, there's actually a planned restructuring of this upcoming $30 billion on offshore debt. Yeah, offshore debt where previously it was agreed among creditors to swap it according to uh, equity-linked notes, uh, as well as new securities, that means newly issued shares of uh, China Evergrande. But however, on late last Friday, uh, the management uh, of China Evergrande uh, decided to actually scrap a creditor's meeting with regards to this $30 billion of uh, offshore debt that was about to be swapped. So there was actually no uh, uh, proper reason or, or concrete reason why they decided to actually scrap this creditor meeting. So uh, there are some rumours stating that there will be some liquidity constraint that Evergrande is facing right now on their balance sheet. That means, i.e. certain terms, uh, earlier terms and agreement got to be uh, reassessed and renegotiated. Uh, that actually doesn't bore well uh, in terms of uh, the state of affairs for Evergrande. So that actually kickstarted a negative uh, feedback loop into the China property sector stock. So if you look at the benchmark uh, CSI property uh, index, so that, that's actually a benchmark of property stocks in China based on the CSI benchmark. So today is actually the worst performing sector in between the CSI, uh, uh, CSI uh, China uh, equity sectors. So the China real estate uh, sector actually plumbed negative 2.46%. So at this current level right now, it is in fact uh, close to a nine-year low. So given the fact that uh, if this uh, Evergrande issue continue to actually play out, play out towards uh, this week, uh, I mean, that's yet to be resolved. There could be also a risk of uh, Evergrande uh, being wound up into a liquidation petition, uh, peti- petition because there's a group of creditors uh, decided to actually have a Hong Kong court hearing for the month of 30th of October. So that's coming approaching very close as well. So uh, market participants will be having a close eyes watch on this uh, Evergrande situation to see how does it play off, play out. Uh, but for sure, it does have indeed have a negative feedback loop for today on the Asia uh, benchmark stock indices. So we start to see uh, majority of the Asia benchmark indices are in the red right now. So the Hong Kong uh, benchmark index, so you look at the Hong Kong benchmark index over here, the Hansing index actually has closed in the red at negative 1.82%. The Hansing tech index, uh, the worst performer for today at negative 2.72%. And the Han saying uh, China uh, Enterprise Index down negative 2.1%. So uh, that is, does, does really have a kind of a, um, a, a, a headwind uh, going forward uh, on this uh, China property uh, stocks that could actually have a negative feedback loop uh, 
back again into the Asia benchmark stock indices. And it's not surprising, is it, that it's had such an effect on markets? Because when you look at uh, the Chinese economy, of course, the second largest in the world, the property sector accounts for roughly a quarter of China's economy. Extraordinary, really. And I know that uh, Beijing has tried to implement a raft of measures to prop up the sector and spur property demand, but those moves have appeared to have little impact so far. Yes, precisely. So it seems to me that what uh, the China top policymakers are doing right now is more like a, a targeted piecemeal stimulus plan to ignite a demand from the property uh, sector. That means, i.e. they are not looking at uh, somewhere around during the great financial crisis, exposed great financial crisis in 2009, and as well as previously in 2014, 2015, where the China top policymaker actually ignited a massive fiscal stimulus plan uh, that targeted infrastructure spending. So that was actually primarily focusing on the property market. So uh, given the fact that they, I believe do believe that they actually learned their lesson over these two episodes, yes, at that point in time, there was actually massive infrastructure spending, massive uh, building of property, but that led to what I call uh, the current state of affair right now. That means oversupply of the property market. Uh, we lead to what I call certain uh, province or states. We have this uh, abundance of ghost town property where actually no one is just living living on, on, on them. And given the fact that because the external uh, economy now has started to slow down, uh, which actually start to impact uh, this uh, property, this, uh, abundance of oversupply of property uh, uh, we call it houses or property apartments that was actually due to the overhang of massive uh, unproductive uh, physical stimulus that was enacted then so at this point in time I do believe that uh, the China policymakers do not want to actually follow this particular footstep again but right now they are actually uh, walking on the tight rope so do they uh, want to control it so constrained that it will lead to a catastrophic uh, systematic risk that actually starts to spill over to the wider financial, uh, we call it the financial system in China, or do they want to actually uh, get another round of massive uh, stimulus, uh, we call it package again, to actually just to uh, kick the can down the road to prop up the property market, but that could actually lead to what I call uh, the same old story again of unproductive uh, investment or unproductive resources that's being uh, spent in the property market that could actually create a bigger problem down the road in the next maybe five to 10 years. And it is a very big problem. I'm just looking at some of the figures from the National Bureau of Statistics. And at the end of August, the combined floor area of unsold homes stood at 7 billion square feet, which is a high-watering figure, Kelvin. Let's switch uh, subjects now and talk about oil. Of course, last week, we saw a raft of central banks uh, make those announcements, all of them deciding to pause rates, Bank of England, Bank of Japan, and the Federal Reserve, of course. The oil price continues to rise, WTI above $90 again today, and uh, Brent crude even higher, of course. That is a worry going forward, isn't it? Yes, yes, precisely. So if you look at the current state of the situation for oil price right now, I mean, there's a lot of debate going on, whether is it a uh, supply related or demand uh, related, but for sure, if you look at the current uh, trend of oil price in the last three months, it's pretty much sticky on the upside. 
So it seems to me that there's some persistent uh, uptrend going on in WTI oil prices as well as Brent crude. So uh, we were talking about uh, in the last three months, uh, both of them actually rose uh, close to I think 20%, uh, depending on how which, which gauge you look at it. But for sure, if you look at the WTI crude oil over here, uh, yes, on the US side of the stories, uh, we talk about uh, oil rig uh, count has been pretty much declining. So US doesn't seem to be uh, producing much of an oil supply right now. And given the fact that uh, we start to see a supply constraint up from OPEC itself, uh, which we uh, reckon that it will actually uh, continue throughout the end of this uh, year. And we're also coming close to what I call a, the winter season, where definitely there'll be a higher demand for uh, we call it, uh, heating oil and oil price and, and oil, demand for oil or the Western Hemisphere. And that oil and oil right will actually uh, push up oil prices higher. And also uh, speculators, uh, short-term speculators may also uh, look at this uh, aspect to actually drive uh, prices higher, given the fact that uh, momentum starts to be pretty much sticky on the positive side of the story. So right now, uh, if you look at the trend of the uh, WTI uh, crude oil, uh, potentially uh, we are looking at the next uh, res- the, 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 the next resistance if this 92.70 US dollar per barrel starts to surpass uh, potentially the next resistance we're coming at the 100.05 level that is close to the, the $100 per barrel level so uh, pretty much interesting to see how this reason uh, 3 months of oil price starts to actually fit into the latest inflationary numbers uh, that is out in the month of September for Eurozone uh, for US that will be that U.S. will be still in August because that is uh that is the core PCE uh data. But nevertheless, this data is also uh the favorite gauge of inflationary pressure that the Fed actually used to monitor for the state uh, inflationary pressure in U.S. And lastly, will be the leading Tokyo uh CPI data for the month of uh September. That's all out on Friday. And looking towards the end of the week, some pretty important data, inflation data coming out of the United States. Yes, yes. So definitely, that is the favorite. Uh, I would say that so the so-called favorite gauge of uh inflation data that the Fed watches will be the PCE data on Friday. So if you look at the core PCE uh, price uh data that is stripping out of uh food and energy, so this uh core PCE data year on year, uh market actually expecting it to go down three point nine percent. So that's actually below 4% and below 4.2% that was uh, printed year on year in July. So if that's actually start to take shape, uh, it's actually close to a two-year low, all right? But uh, do not forget, year on year over here is uh, is a pretty, uh, it's a kind of a 12-month analyzed uh, uh, comparison. But I think I believe that we should now be concerned looking at the month-on-month number as well. So uh, given the fact that the month-on-month uh, number was important, because of the last, uh, as we discussed earlier, the last three months of a uh, rentless uh, push-up in oil prices, that is a search for 20% in the last three months or so. So uh, this month-on-month figure will pretty much closely watch. So if you look at the uh, PCE uh, month-on-month for August, uh, market is actually expecting it a rise from uh, 0.2% uh, month-on-month in July. Concession now is expecting up by uh, three basis points. That's 0.5% month-on-month for August. So if you start to see any number that is uh, surpassing 0.5% month-on-month, that's the consensus estimate right now, potentially we could start to see uh, a further uh, tick-up in the longer-term U.S. Uh, Treasury yield, especially the 10 yield, that could actually have a negative knock-on effect on the U.S. Uh, benchmark stock indices. 
Okay, very interesting, uh, Calvin. We will look out for that and we will speak to you again very soon. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda.